Hey, um, first Wednesday, I call it the most important service of the month because that's when we come together as a family, worship together uh, in extended song, and also take the Lord's Supper together and pray for one another. And uh, listen, I always want to say this. If you uh, need prayer for anything, a specific need, our church wants to pray for you. You can let us know on those next step cards. We will have elders and prayer team members available always at First Wednesday and just encourage you uh, to participate and be a part of that. But we will continue this weekend navigating through the book of First uh, Samuel in, in what's called, we're calling this series, The Crown, as Israel is asking God for a king and God has raised up this man named Saul to be the king and there's just all kind of problems with his kingship and we're in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel this weekend and 1 Samuel chapter 15 kind of reads like uh, like this it kind of reads like if you've ever done this would you rather you know you've done this like in your small group or you've done it with your like girlfriend or your spouse and it's a good way to get to know people like would you rather like talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader you know would you rather right I mean, there's all kinds of would-you-rathers. I was thinking of some and, 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 and Googled this. Well, would you rather have AC and heat for a year or no, no, no internet for a year? Which would you rather go without? And some of us would be, that, that's like a tough question in today's culture, isn't it? Would you rather have an empty phone battery or an empty gas tank? Isn't that crazy? Because I think a lot of us, some people are like, hey, i got to have my phone, right? I'll walk everywhere as long as i got my phone, right? Halloween candy or Christmas cookies? If you could only choose one, which would you have? And then this one gave me nightmares. No football season or, and I was like, that's just unimaginable. I can't even go there, right? But 1 Samuel reads like a would-you-rather that all of us face. And it's, and, it, and it's a tough one and an awesome one at the same time. And so let's jump in in the Word of God together, chapter 15, 1 Samuel, verse 1. And you're going to see the would you rather, that it jumps out in, first, in the first verse. We'll see Saul deal with it, and, and then you're going to see how it shows up in your life as well. The Word of God this weekend. It says this, Samuel told Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now listen to the words of the Lord. And this word listen in some form or fashion is going to show up about eight times in, in this section of scripture which tells us the entire chapter is about listening and doing something with the words of the Lord. And, and the, the, the great would you rather, the great choice that we all face is whether or not to obey the Lord. Whether or not to obey the Lord. Now, it, now listen, we could just say, hey, we're in church. We're supposed to obey the Lord. Can we get out of here early this week and let's close in prayer and go home, right? Because we're in church. We're supposed to obey God. But, but let's just be honest, right? We all have a love-hate relationship with obedience. It started with our parents. Maybe it extends to the, to the IRS. It extends to the speed limit sign that you, should think, you think should be a 55, but it's a 35. It extends to your boss. It extends to the government. We all have a love-hate relationship with obedience. And when it comes to God, it, it's sort of easy to kind of say things like, hey, nobody's perfect and God understands. When it comes to God, a lot of the emphasis that a lot of us grew up with in, in the South especially is you need to believe in God, but obedience, well, you know, nobody's perfect, Right? And, and so in this passage, though, we're going to kind of get underneath, you know, what, what is, is obedience really that important to God? And, and, and what does it look like and what motivates obedience and where does obedience come from? And, and, and how does this whole thing shake itself out 
in our lives and in our stories? <clears throat> and how does it kind of work out? So God's got this guy named Saul. He's named him the king. And he says, hey, listen, here's my words to you that I need you to obey. Here's what he says. So this is what the Lord of armies says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. So you can go back to Exodus 17 and read it. It's this fascinating story. So uh, the, the Israelites are leaving Egypt, cross the Red Sea, all that kind of stuff. And the Amalekites come around and ambush them from the, from, from the rear, where they're, where they're most vulnerable. They're not even really a, a functioning army at this point in their, in their unique and amazing history as a, as a people. And so uh, God's like, hey, we're gonna, God's like, we're going to take care of that. And so he's going to tell Saul to go to war against the Amalekites because of what they did way back when, when they were coming out of Egypt. He says, now go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. And we've talked about Old Testament. We've talked about war previously, so I'm not going to go into that. But look at what God says. He says, do not spare them. Kill men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep camels and donkeys and that's like hard right so that's that's the command that God gives Saul and it's a command to carry out justice it's a command to carry out justice now I know a lot of us struggle with the women infants and nursing babies part and we and we should struggle with it but we also have to submit ourselves to God's sovereignty we have to submit ourselves to God's perfect foreknowledge the Amicalite people had 300 years to repent because their sin started around the time of, uh, of Abraham and Genesis. They had like 300 years of, uh, and, and they're evil. And, you know, you got to sometimes think, and we can't fathom God, but God knows, hey, what if all these women, infants, and nursing babies, what if they all grow up and essentially become evil people who kill people, who become terrorists? I mean, I, I can't fathom it. I don't know. I don't want to make an argument from silence. But what I, I'm saying is God gave a very clear command to Saul. Now, he's going to struggle with this, but he's not going to struggle with it in the same areas that we struggle with it, right? And, and we'll see what he does. But we also, just, just as an aside, we also need to understand something about God. God is a God of justice. And there is a lot of evil that happens in the world that does, never gets justice, never gets holy vengeance that, that, that satisfies. And God is going to take God's going to right every wrong. That's what this teaches us. God is going to right every wrong. In fact, when you go to the book of Revelation and we get a scene in heaven of believers who have died for their faith in heaven, look at what part of their hope is. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they've given. So Christ followers who have been killed. We're getting ready in, in the 1st of November. There's like persecuted church day, and there's a lot of persecution of Christians. And look what they're doing in heaven. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth? And how long, God, till you avenge our blood? So there is hope that God will execute perfect justice and will right every wrong. And that's what's going on in this ask of Saul to be obedient. Now, at this point, we need to get a definition of obedience. Now, listen, you've got five commandments of God that you find easy to keep, and you tend to keep score on those five, don't you? Right? 
We've got, uh, you know, which one of the big ten do you struggle with, right, if you look at the Ten Commandments? We need to have an understanding of obedience before we go into this story. And so here's the greatest, best definition I've ever found. It comes from a man named J.I. Packer. He says, obedience is the conscientious endeavor to live by God's revealed will for us without making exceptions in our own favor. God, you've said it. You've spoken it. I will not make exceptions due to my lack of understanding. I will not do, make exceptions due to the cost to me, to personal preference. So let's see how Saul does as we move on in this story. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is next to Egypt. He captured King Agag of Amalek alive. But he completely destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and choice animals, as well as young rams and the best of everything else. They were partially obedient. But they saw the plunder, and they're like, hey, we're missing plunder. So they said, let's keep some plunder. They were not willing, key phrase, not willing to destroy them. So, Saul, would you rather obey God completely or would you rather take a little bit of the, the spoils of war and hold them? And he's like, well, I, I, we'll take a little bit of the spoils of war. Would you rather? Right? But they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. So, Saul has obeyed some but not all. So, Saul falls in the category that I think a lot of us here this weekend fall in. We're partially obedient. We're partially obedient. I mean, there's, a, there's stuff on my list that, you know, but Matt, have you dealt with this yet? No, you know, and we're partially obedient. And, and, and we sort of think, man, maybe God grades on the curve, you know, or, or maybe God gives extra credit for being in church or whatever. I mean, and so we all have this kind of relationship with obedience. And listen, let's, let's just be fair, right? When it comes down to it and you play the would-you-rather game with obedience to God and other things, there's times where you don't want to do, I don't want to do what God has revealed to do. And then what do we do? Well, we have ways to close the gap between our partial obedience and full and complete obedience. And so we say things like, well, boys will be boys. We say things, well, we're in love. Right? We say things like, well, this makes me happy, and God wants me to be happy. We say things like, well, God, nobody's perfect, and God will forgive me. I mean, we've all got a loophole, an excuse, a reason for our partial obedience. And, and some of it, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people. At least I'm not the way I used to be. We've all got a reason, an excuse, a justification for partial obedience. And that's fair, but then let's ask the big question. What does God think? about partial obedience. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel and he said, God says, I regret that I made him king. For he has turned away from following me. Yeah, but God, there was a great victory and he did most of what you asked him to do. I mean, that's like, you know, that, that's like a 90. It's still an A, right? I regret that I put him in the place I put him, but he has not carried out my instructions. Now, it's interesting because you're like, I mean, how can God, who knows everything past, present, and future, how can God experience regret? It shows us something about God, doesn't it? 
Because even though he knows where I'm going to be five minutes from now, 15 years from now, God's with me right now. And when I choose to disobey him right now, he feels pain and regret at my own disobedience. So listen, nobody's perfect, but God doesn't understand. His expectation is something more than partial obedience. So Samuel hears this, and I, and I love the humanity of the Bible. Like we get to have emotion in the Bible, even, even somewhat negative emotion. So Samuel became angry. The text doesn't tell us why he became angry. I can speculate, but I don't want to speculate from silence. Let's, let's let the word of God be the word of God. So he cries out and he prays to God all night. That's all it says. He's angry at Saul. Maybe he's angry at God. Maybe he's angry at Israel for choosing Saul. But he gives those emotions to God, and we move forward. But here's, the, here's where the text is speaking to us. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And then if you ask me, you know, hey, Matt, what's God doing in the world right now? And, and we're all watching the news in the Middle East. In Maine, with another tragic shooting. Here, here's what God's doing. And here's, here's one way I would answer it. God is building a people who learn to be completely obedient to him through the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. And we see in the text that God's will is complete obedience for us. Comple that's his priority for us. God wants completely obedient people. And he's building a kind, of people, a kind of person through the church, through the message of the gospel. And that's what he's doing. And every time we make a mistake, we sin, every time we turn on the news, look at our news feed, we actually see consequences of disobedience. If you want to know what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with my story, my heart, it will always trace back and the epicenter will always be disobedience and and so we get a testimony of the consequences of disobedience i get one when i look in the mirror i get one when i read the new my news feed that's it but we see in the text when god says and reveals his will his expectation is not partial it's not delayed it's complete obedience now, again, nobody's going to say, Matt, that's the greatest sermon, this is so popular, you know, because we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear, give me five steps to a better life. I'll give you one step. Obey the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So let's look at it, and let's ask this question, okay? Why does God want, expect, why is he working for complete obedience? Now listen, some of you grew up in, in, I don't know if any of you had a, a mom or a dad, and you were like, why mom? Because I said so, right? And some of us grew up in church, and it was like, because God says so, and the Bible says so. And you're like, but why? Because the Bible says so. Why? The Bible says so, right? And you're like, well, okay, right? I want to get a little deeper than that. Yeah, yeah, we could close in prayer at this point in the message too and say, yeah, the Bible says so. Let's close in prayer be obedient to God. But we got to get deeper than that because it's bigger than that. And I think, and this is what I've been praying for you and praying for me, is that when we get a vision, an inspiration, 
of why obedience, complete obedience, not partial obedience, is so awesome and so pleasing and so incredible to the Lord, it will make us want to pray prayers like, God, I want to be fully obedient to you. So let's look at the text. The first reason that jumps out at us is obedience is pleasing to God. Do you see that God said, I have regret because of Saul's disobedience that I made him king, and now God, eventually God's going to take the kingdom away from God. God feels and reacts to our obedience or our disobedience in real time. God is above you, God is beyond you, but he's with you. And when you and I obey him, it pleases him. He has subjected. This is crazy. God who never, ever needed to create us, never, ever needed to say, let there be light. He is perfectly sufficient as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Always has been and always will be. But in condescension, God has made his emotional state somewhat subjective to whether Matt Evans is completely obedient to him. I have the ability to please God. I have the ability to displease God. And when we see who God is, God becomes like that teacher who you wanted to do your best for. That coach that you would run through a brick wall for, right? We have the ability to please God. That's amazing. So obedience is a way, it's like God's love language. You know, if you're married, you probably know your, your, your spouse's love language, quality time, words of affirmation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. God's love language is obedience, right? So obedience is pleasing to God. So let's navigate forward and see what happens. So early in the morning, Samuel gets up to go confront Saul after he prayed all night, got his anger out. He commits himself to being a part of the, to being obedient to the will of God. But it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument for himself. There's our narcissist coming out, right? There's the old narcissist Saul coming out. We want a big battle. I'm going to make a monument to me, myself, and I, right? Saul's that guy that takes a lot of selfies, you know, right? Then <clears throat> he turned around and went to Gilgal. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Now, let's meet ourselves. Don't we all tend to inflate our obedience and be blind to our disobedience? We may not always even see the sinfulness of our own sin. Isn't it easier for you to see sin in other people than it is sin in yourself? I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? It is so much easier to see sin in other people than it is in yourself. If the referee makes a bad call against your team, that referee's terrible. If he makes a bad call against the other team, great job, ref! You know? Why is that? Because we're not partial at it. We're not, we have blind spots. So Saul comes out thinking he's done a great job, thinking, man, I won the battle. God must be pleased with me. I've obeyed the Lord. Samuel goes, well, why am I hearing sheep and goats and cattle? Because the command was to destroy everything. And then Saul says, well, the troops brought them from the Amicalites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. We're going to do something spiritual with these animals we're going to do something religious with these animals yeah god i went out and got drunk friday night but i'm gonna be in church sunday morning praise the lord right 
Yeah, we've all done it or said it or thought it. Maybe not drunkenness, but you put fill in the blank with your favorite sin and partial obedience, right? We've done it. And so, and, and, and so look what he says. Stop. Close your mouth. Stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said, tell me. Samuel continued, he goes, although you were once, con- you once considered yourself un- unimportant, haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? He says, look at how God has been good to you. Hey, this, is, this is grace in the biography of Saul. Saul, you were insecure. You were from that tribe of Benjamin, that forgotten, decimated tribe of Benjamin. And God chose you, elevated you, not because you were like perfect. He just chose you graciously, sovereignly. He picked you out and elevated you and put you in this position. What are you doing? He said, look at the platform. God anointed you king over Israel, but you were supposed to be an obedient king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission, and he said, go and completely destroy the sinful Amicalites. Remember, 300 years of sin in this, in this culture. <coughs> he said, fight against them until you have annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Remember, partial obedience is still disobedience. Why did you rush on the plunder? And this word is sort of like, have you ever dropped a piece, you ever have a dog and, like, and you're eating outside or if your dogs are inside dogs like my dogs and you drop a piece of meat on the floor and the dog rushes on the meat, right, and just goes after it, right? My dog will try to get on the counter and pull stuff off the counter, it's crazy. But that, that it's like you wanted, so would you rather obey God fully or would you rather have grabbed some plunder? They'd rather take the plunder. That's the implication in the Hebrew of this rush on. You wanted the plunder more than you wanted to fully please and obey God. That's the implication. So why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord. All of us have an inner lawyer where we can defend ourselves, right? And give God a great excuse. He said, I went on the mission that the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops took the sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And, and, and from this, and, I, and I, this is, I, I met myself in this story. I, I honestly, uh, this morning when I was finalizing, there was a lot of repentance from myself. A lot of repentance. Um, I hope. Because uh, I need to hear this message as much as I'm giving this message. There's three blinding factors, and I see these in myself, that jump out of why Saul can't see his disobedience. First one is religion. Like, hey, God, we did, I, 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 we're going to have a sacrifice. With the stuff we were supposed to completely destroy, we're going to have a sacrifice. And so Saul uses religion and religious ceremony Instead of the complete surrender that God asks for and complete obedience that God deserves and demands from the world. See, listen, it's great to be in church. We're commanded to be in church. We're commanded to be the church. We're commanded to be part of the church. We're commanded to pray. But just because we check those boxes does not mean we can still live in partial obedience, which is really disobedience. And let's just be honest. If you grew up in the Bible Belt, we're pretty good at that, aren't we? 
pretty good at that. Me too. Secondly, ourself. Saul built a monument to himself. We, we, we gravitate to being self-sufficient, self-reliant, and self-absorbed. And when we're looking at ourselves, it's easy to ignore and excuse disobedience. And then number three, I think there's a misunderstanding of God's grace. Or, we're, or, or in some cases, we're missing God's grace. And here's what I mean by that. And this is number two about why we should be obedient. Obedience when we obey God, it shows grace to be a transforming power instead of a flimsy tolerance of sin. You see, I think in, in, the, in the church world, we've made grace into an excuse for sin. But God's design in grace is to transform us to not only, to not only forgive and cancel sin, but to eradicate sin. And it'll be the grace of God in Jesus Christ that accomplishes that in my life, in your life, and in the life of the world. So look, Saul is an imperfect but chosen, an anointed, but chosen by God and anointed by God to be a ruler under God. But he wasn't under God. He was disobedient because of religion, self, and he misunderstood the grace of God. Us, we're imperfect but chosen and adopted by faith to be children of God. And God covers and cancels sin in Christ to eventually and victoriously eradicate sin in us. So when Saul or Samuel looks to Saul and says, don't you realize what God has done for you? He said he took you from nothing and put you in this place. That grace God gave you was not to excuse partial obedience or complete disobedience. That grace he gave you was to win your heart so you would give him your heart. And when you give God your heart, you know what it looks like? Complete obedience. So there's a lot of us here this weekend that need to be reminded, do you know what God has done for us? In Christ, he died for us. In Christ, he died instead of us. And, and he picked us out and, and presented. The gospel was shared with us by a church, by a grandparent, by a friend, by a stranger. And, and we said yes to Jesus. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the grace of God. Let it win your heart to the Lord. And when your heart is devoted to the Lord, the natural, supernatural response is to completely obey the Lord. Grace is a transforming power. Grace is never, ever to be an excuse that nobody's perfect and God understands. And then the conversation continues. And Samuel says something that's going to show up in the New Testament, book of Hebrews, later down the road. He says, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? So let, let's put it in our vernacular. Does the Lord take pleasure in prayer, quiet times, and coming to church as much as obedience? Now, that, that's a false dichotomy. But the point of the question is, what does God prioritize? Look, he answers the question. To obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. That word look, hear, listen, it's all right here. That God wants obedience. 
Because obedience, number three, why obedience is important, it demonstrates that our delight is in the Lord. Demonstrates that our delight, our joy, our happiness comes from the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the, your heart's desires. So the promise is God will give you your heart's desires. The command is take delight in the Lord. Now here's what's happened. And this is why some of you are not yet Christians. Is you see a tension between your delight and pursuing God. You see that tension, right? It's the tension of Saul and his troops. Who God said do this, but the plunder's right here. I delight in the plunder, so I'll partially obey God, but be blind to the disobedience in order to have what I want, which is the plunder. We do it all the time. We do it all the time, right? And so, and, and people, you know, you've heard people say, God wants us holy, not happy. No, holiness is the path to happiness as you delight in the Lord. It's like saying, hey, should I eat fruit or eat apples? Should I pursue obedience or be happy? Pursue obedience because that's the path to lasting joy and happiness because you're delighting in the Lord. And, and Saul thought that full obedience would make him unhappy. Right? And, and, and we're reminded of something. You know, you know what motivates obedience? It's love for the Lord. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. That's that love language of God again. The reason we obey God is not to stay out of hell. The reason we obey God is because we love God. We love God. And, and, and again, again, go back to point number one, that God takes pleasure in obedience. Why would we hurt the one who loves us most, loves us best, and will love us the longest? Right? And then Saul Here's something from Samuel that is like, this is kind of, this is a tough one. He says, listen, rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance is wickedness and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. Chapter 14, he loses the dynasty. Chapter 15, he's going to lose the whole kingship. And he says this sin of divination, witchcraft, Ouija boards, palm reading just go on and on you know it's like it's like he's like what does that mean that is divination is just what you're consulting other than the the, the wisdom of the lord you're, you're consulting this you're consulting your own wisdom you're consulting society so i mean it's crazy can you imagine saying hey i've got this major decision let's have five kids over five guys over we're going to get the ouija board out we're going to sacrifice some bunnies and then we'll go to church on sunday <laughs> that's what samuel said you're doing because Saul, you showed you don't trust God. Obedience shows the place of our trust. It's in the Lord, that God's trustworthy and praiseworthy. Disobedience says, hey, God, I know better than you. Disobedience is divination. Disobedience is Ouija board. Disobedience is witchcraft. Disobedience is anything. And so by putting it in that category, what is Samuel trying to do? What is the word of God trying to do? Is take this seriously. Because, you know, what makes sin ultimately wicked is it, not always the what. It's because of it's the authority, whose authority and whose will we're rejecting. It's God. It's God. 
So then Saul finally says, hey, I've sinned. I've transgressed the Lord's commands and your words because I was afraid of the people. I obeyed them. There's that old fear of people thing again. He says, now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so I can worship the Lord. And Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return with you because you rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. When Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed the corner of his robe and it tore. This becomes a metaphor. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingship of Israel away from you today and he has given it to your neighbor who's better than you. Furthermore, the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not like a man who changes his mind. And in this statement, he begins to point to a different kingdom, a different king. He begins to point to the future. Now listen, if God were indifferent to obedience yesterday, today, or tomorrow, what hope would we have to a better future? Because the whole hope of our better future, what's God doing in the world? He's building, he's restoring and building a people who are completely obedient to him. What's the source of all evil in the world? Disobedience of the one true king. So God's building a future where we can all sit here and say the best is yet to come. And so God cannot be indifferent to obedience now, yesterday, or today. In my life, in your life, in the life of the church, in the life of the world, he cannot be. Because obedience today holds the hope of a new kingdom under the perfect true king when there will be no disobedience. Do you know one of the things that makes heaven heaven, that makes a new kingdom so incredible? There will be no disobedience. And so God today is building a people who are prioritizing becoming fully obedient people, completely obedient people. And if God were to wink, wink, nod, nod, oh, I don't care, no big deal, boys will be boys. Oh, yeah, I know everybody else is doing it. You do it too, church people. What hope do we have? We don't have any. We don't have any. So today, God says, my priority is complete obedience. And I want to win your heart so you would give me your heart and express your love to me through complete obedience. So Saul finally says, he says, hey, I've sinned. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not enough to say you've sinned because look where Saul immediately goes. Now, please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so I can bow and worship to the Lord your God. I've sinned. Let's go to church so I look good. That's what he's saying. I mean, who's, and a lot of us are like, oh, I've done that, right? And then Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul bowed down to the Lord. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his home in Gibeah. And this is why it ends so sad. Even to the day of his death, Samuel never saw Saul again. Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted. Real-time regret. He's got a plan past the regret, and, and we're going to get there next week. We get introduced to this guy that points us to the guy, capital G. Got to come back, right? The Lord regretted he had made Saul king over Israel. So listen, it's not enough to say we've sinned. The real question becomes, have we repented and committed ourselves to complete obedience? And that's the question. Because I think all of us, you, you may not call everything I call a sin a sin. You may call it a mistake, an oops, right? But all of us would admit we're sinners. You may say you're a mistaker, but all of us are mistakers, sinners, 
We're all one decision away from stupid, right? So we don't want to leave here saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. The question is, have we repented and committed ourselves to complete obedience? Now, I understand this. I've used this word complete, complete a lot, and I've done it intentionally. God's standard is always complete obedience. Always. God can't, we've just read it. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't lower his standard. It's always complete obedience. So then we're like, well, what do we do? Because who's, who, who, who's completely obedient? For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. But you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, listen to what Jesus says. And he's saying this for you and he's saying this for me. He says, look, God, I have come to do your will. Oh, God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. Jesus completely obeyed God. And then he died for our incomplete, partial obedience and all of our disobedience. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. I need the complete obedience of Jesus credited to my account. So when God looks at Matt, he sees Jesus' obedience. I need Jesus' death covering my disobedience so when God looks at Matt, he sees the obedience of Jesus and the death of Jesus, which satisfies him so he can look at Matt and say, that's my son. With him, I am well pleased. Why is he well pleased with me? Because I'm in Christ, who was completely obedient to God so two questions two questions that's it it's not enough to just say I'm a sinner and I've sinned have you repented and committed to complete obedience second question are you in Christ it's a yes or no are you in Christ if not by faith, you can be in Christ today, tomorrow, and forever. Are you in Christ, who is completely obedient and still died for us and instead of us? Let's bow and pray. Holy Spirit, I don't know if there's any more I can say, but I know there's something you want to do. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask you and invite you to illuminate and shine the glory, the grace, the goodness, the awesomeness, the life of Jesus in every heart here today. May our hearts swell up with gratitude for your complete obedience and your sufficient death once for all on our behalf. May that obedience, that life Jesus you live, that death Jesus you died, may that win our hearts over so what we want to give you, God, is just love expressed through complete obedience. Help us, God. But God, I don't want anybody to leave here not fully in Christ. So I pray in Jesus' name.
that if there's anybody here that doesn't know if Jesus is their substitute, Savior, King, and Lord, that right now by faith they'd say, Jesus, I accept your death on my behalf. I accept your obedience for me. And as best I know how, Jesus, I don't know what this looks like completely, but I know enough to just say, Jesus, as best I know how, I give my life to you. God, would you be honored and glorified as I pray that dozens and hundreds and hundreds of us would say, would we rather, and we would say, I'd rather be with Jesus. I'd rather be with Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.